Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, from Lord's Day 5, you have learned in the previous weeks that the pathway to our deliverance from God's wrath over our sins and our sinfulness begins with the full satisfaction of his justice. And then from that Lord's Day, you could also learn that we ourselves could not ever do this. There's no way any one of us ever could by ourselves satisfy God's wrath over sins. God is just and he will not punish our sins to any other creature. And we must so indicate question 15, seek a mediator and deliverer who is a true and a righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is one who at the same time is true God. Anything less is just not enough. And that's where the previous Lord's Day stopped. It's of course true that we who already have confessed, and I hope that that's all of us here, that we truly belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we already have found him. We found him because God gave him. He is, he is his only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we found such a mediator. But it's not to say that in a different way, we do not need to seek him any longer. We continue to seek him, but it is a total different way of seeking. It is a seeking and finding him every day. Because there is not a day in our lives that we do not need this mediator who is true man and true God. And we also continue to seek him because we want to know all there is to know about him want to know him. And so congregation, let's listen then with the guidance of our Lord's Day to, see, to, to get to know more about the Savior who is true man and true God. We do that under the team in Christ. We find the mediator we must seek. And then we will learn that he is true man and true God. And that for us, God made him to be what we cannot be. And that God has been revealing him from the beginning. So first, that he is true man and true God. Question 16 asks, why must he, that mediator, be true and righteous man? Now, the first part of that answer you already received last time in the previous Lord's Day. When the Catechism stated in question and answer 14 that God will not punish any other creature for the sins which man has committed. So we know that our mediator needs to be true man. Because man has sinned. But the second part of that answer teaches us that this mediator has to be a righteous man. Because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. So even if we were able to find a person who, would, who never would have committed any sin and who would never 
ever commit any sin, then he still will be a sinner by birth. A person does not become a sinner because he sins, but he sins because he is a sinner. Adam became a sinner, and he is the father of all of us sinners. So in order to be able to be our mediator, to pay for our sins, the mediator we need has to be perfectly righteous, perfectly sinless. And among us, no one is righteous. That is what Romans 3 tells us very clearly. The mediator we need need to be without any natural inclination towards sin. And therefore, he would have to have a sinless ancestry, sinless fathers, so to speak. You see, that is why the Virgin Mary needed to become pregnant without having contact with a sinful man. So how can that be possible? That's a good question. That is exactly what Mary asked the angel when he told her that she would become pregnant. She said, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And so let's listen to the answer the angel gave her. He said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We find that in Luke 2, verse 34 and 35. So then, here he is. The mediator who is true man, who is born from a human mother and true God because he was conceived from God himself, from God the Holy Spirit. And it is in this way that God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In this way, the eternal Son of God came into this world, became true man forever. But at the same time, he will always, forever, remain true God. That is a profound thought. It's true man and true God. And that is something very difficult that we cannot really grasp in our minds. That is why there are, right from the beginning, a lot of heresies about But there is a better way of figuring those things out with our mind. And the better way is the way of faith. Without by God given faith, we are able to believe it. By God given faith and believing it, we become convicted and convinced of it. Because we know that it is just as the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And so is it with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator and deliverer. We must suck. He is, he is true man, a righteous man, and he is true God. And then, let's now in the second point look at that God made him to be what we cannot be. Now we've come to, we have come to question and answer 18. And question 18 asks, but who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and true and righteous man? And we know the answer already, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Of course, we have heard it so many times. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the only thing that I would really direct your attention to, brothers and sisters, is that it says, our Lord Jesus Christ. It does not say the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it has to be that personal. Christ cannot just be the mediator for everyone in general. He has to be your mediator. And the only way he can be your mediator is if he is also your Lord. See, the name Lord is not just a title of Jesus. No, the Lord Jesus, he is Lord. He is Master. And he had to be your Lord and your Master. And that means that you obey him. You obey him when he calls you to believe in him only for your salvation. In him only. It means that you strive to follow the examples he gave you while he lived here on earth. It means that you long for and strive to live by his rules and that his promises direct your plans for the future. Because you do not only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you also truly believe him. Everything. So easy to say I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was all Christians say. If you ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The next question is, do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything. Everything he said. Do you live by that? Strive to live by that. Let me say it this way. It's really hard that, that, that this, a life, that he could just... Live according to his word. I could just direct my whole future according to his promises. Jesus, that's why it says in our catechism, he is our Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's true for you, then it is also true for you what you read in the rest of the answer, that Christ became to you wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I want to spend some time on this. Adam and Eve know God as their father and they had the knowledge, the wisdom to walk as his children. But because of Adam's sin, all of us, Adam too, lost that wisdom. And humanity went on without that wisdom of how to live as God's children. And it was therefore that our gracious God at Mount Sinai needed to give his people a law, ironclad rules of how to serve and how to worship him. But Christ Jesus... He is our true mediator. And he was not sinful. And he never sinned. And therefore he possesses that 
perfect wisdom that we lost. And if you belong to him, with body and soul, both alive and in death, if you truly believe in him and believe him, then God makes him to be your wisdom. Then God writes his wisdom to your account. That's something to think about for a second. We are looking for a mediator who is a true righteous man. It means that he is our wisdom. It's not so that when you be it's not just only so that when you become a Christian, you become a little bit wiser in the ways of how to live before the Lord. It's never enough. Even the best of our works are still defiled with sin. We know that from our catechism. So we never had wisdom enough by ourselves. But God in his grace, if we believe to his son, makes him our wisdom. His wisdom, his perfect service is a credit to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, could truly say in John 17 verse 4, I have brought your glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Could you ever say that? No. As long as you live, you could never say that. But if you belong to him, Christ ascribed those words to you. The God the Father ascribed those words to you. Christ become your wisdom. He fulfilled what David already prophesied about him in Psalm 40. Our, our mediator, he said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God, and your law is within my heart. And all these words, God the Father writes to your account. God make him your wisdom. See how crucial it is that you belong to Christ. See how difficult it is also, just with this alone already, to just really believe in him only. Only just believing that you will never have the wisdom that measures up to what God requires of you. And at the same time believing that God credits Christ's beautiful wisdom all to you. So all you need. That takes faith. It takes a faith that needs to be renewed every day. And that takes a lot of prayer. Apart from him, we have neither the knowledge nor the wisdom, but belonging to him. Christ's wisdom is ours. He is, he himself is our wisdom. And then it says in Catechism, according to 1 Corinthians, that God made Christ also our righteousness. Here it is the same as with the wisdom. It is, and, it, and it does not say, pay attention, it does not say that Christ makes you righteous. 
maar dat hij is al righteousness. Dat is de gospel. Upon your faith in him, God looks upon you as if you have never sinned. As if you yourself had accomplished all the righteousness that Christ has rendered for you. It's question and answer 60 of the catechism. God credits it to you because Christ is your righteousness. He is. You believe in him. So sad that some Christians, some church members, seem to forget this at times. That it is not they that are righteous, but that Christ is their righteousness. But they seem to forget it. And they seem that they think that God has made them righteous. And they show that when they can be so awfully hard and unforgiving to others. When others fall into a grave sin, they are able to mercilessly, mercilessly wield the sword of the law against them. And they show that shunning sinners is not at all exclusive to hurt rights and Amy's people. See, those are, I'm not saying that they're not Christians, but they definitely forgot that for a moment that they are not righteous, but that Christ is their righteousness. It is way more beautiful. Never have to measure yourself, you just look to him. So dangerously wrong for us to point at other people. To use the sword of the law against anyone of your brothers and sisters in Christ who, who stumbles and falls into sin. Can you imagine how God, who gave his only begotten son to save his chosen people, looks at the proud and the self-righteous person in judgment pointing the sword of the law to those he loved from eternity? That's a scary thought, is it not? So, God made him our righteousness. God the Father made Christ also our sanctification. That means that in God's sight, we who believe and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are holy, just as Christ is holy. Imagine that. Does it also mean that Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, begins to make us holy? But it does not mean that you by yourselves become capable of doing truly good works, holy works. Because we have learned from Lord's A44 that even the best of our works are still defiled with sin. But it does mean that by the Holy Spirit, God, the Lord Jesus, works in you the desire to do the things that pleases God. And that desire that bears fruit in your life in doing good works, that's why we read in Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The works with God works in us and through us are holy because they are works that he worked in you and through you. And they are done by you for Christ's sake. And still, and still, even the best of our works are still defiled with sin. God looks at these works as Christ's perfect works. God made him our sanctification. In our life, we will never be holy enough. We will never be sanctified enough. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be desperate. We, because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his holiness is ours. God counts his holiness to you. That's how God looks at you. And then it says, finally it says, and our redemption. This question and answer 18, and on the catechism quotes, as you can see in the catechism, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And in, the, and in the, the Greek word, in that verse, which is translated in our catechism with redemption, is a word that actually means liberation, deliverance. So think about it. God made Christ our deliverance, our freedom. He, Christ, is our freedom from the power of Satan, from the power of sin, the power of death. Our freedom from God's temporal and eternal judgment and God's curse. Apart from Christ, you're still in the bondage of sin and bound under God's wrath. But when we belong to Christ, we are delivered, we are free. We may look up to heaven and without any fear cry out, Abba, Father, to him who is eternal, who is infinite, who is majestic, who is absolutely holy, who is a light and in him is no darkness. Abba, Father, because Christ is our redemption, is our, is our liberation. He is. We may look and live in a world which makes itself ready for judgment, and we do not need to fear. For we know ourselves delivered from its grasp. We know ourselves safe in the shadow of our almighty mediator and savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the time comes, and will come for all of us, that we need to face that, we may face it without despair. For he conquered that for us. And we will find it to, to be, to use uh, the words of the Catechism, an entrance into eternal life.
And we may join the Apostle Paul and say, that is swallowed up in victory. Oh, that, where is your victory? Oh, that, where is your sting? The sting of that is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our delivery, our redemption. Thanks be to God who made the Lord Jesus Christ to be for us what we ourselves could never be. For he is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, he is our sanctification, and he is our redemption. And therefore, him we must seek always and every day, in every way. We seek him also because, as we will see briefly in our third point, God has been revealing him to us from the beginning. Question 19 asked, from where do you know this? And the answer is done from the Holy Gospel. And then the answer does not continue with the words which God himself revealed only in the New Testament. That's not what the answer says. No, it continues with the words which God first revealed in paradise. Later had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his son. And that covers the whole of the Old Testament all throughout, everywhere. God has been revealing Christ to us. Right from the beginning, as soon as Adam and Eve had sinned, God's word became the gospel, the good news. God began to reveal him who would deliver his people from his wrath over sin. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so God sentenced the serpent, Satan, but it was the glorious gospel to our first parents, just as it is still to us. From the beginning, and some, sometimes I've, in Bible studies I heard some people object that, that Genesis 3.15 was not really a very clear gospel. Well, maybe, but it was clear enough for Eve. Because when she gave birth, she cried out, I have received a man from the Lord. And she thought that Cain already was the one who would crusade his head. She was so wrong about that. But she was not wrong with her faith in the promise of, of the Lord. That promise was the good news to her. The patriarchs believed it too. For Lamech said about his son Noah, he will comfort us. In the labor and the painful toil of her hands caused by the ground, the Lord had cursed. I was wrong about that too. But not in believing the promise. Abraham promised Isaac, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And God did. Twice. 
Jacob prophesied that the scepter would not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs. All throughout, God is be revealing the gospel. These patriarchs, they believed the gospel with God revealed to them. And so Hebrews 11 says, They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And learn from that. It's a little bit sidetracking that they do now, but we can really learn from those people. You know, they, they, none of them received what is promised. None of them have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't receive what is promised. But they have seen them and greeted them from afar. And how do we do with, God, with God's promises to us? How, how do we accept the promise that our Lord Jesus Christ will come again upon the clouds of heaven? Just like our fathers, that we greet them. Seen them as it were from afar. It's not evident in our life. Do we ever look up to the clouds if he's there? They did. That's what Hebrews said about them. They've seen them, they've seen him and greeted him from afar. And so it continued. David from a great distance. Of a faraway future heard his Savior cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah saw the birth of a child whose name would be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And another time he, he, he pronounced the, church, the birth of a child whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. He also saw our Savior pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. He saw him receive the punishment that brought us peace. Patriarchs and the prophets, all throughout, God has been revealing it so important. We always realize that, that it was so important to God that we would know him, that we would believe in him, that he had from the very beginning we cannot far go in, in, back into history if we want, but it was always there. The Savior always had been revealed. No one has any excuse for not believing in him or saying I didn't know about him. There was the continuous stream of blood flowing from the temple, pointing to the, to the Lamb of God that one day, would wash away all the sins of all his people with his blood. And the smoke of the altar pointed forward to Christ's prayers on behalf of those who were given to him. All these people and all these things pointed as signs and shadows to that great mediator and deliverer we always, always must seek. He has come. And God fulfilled all the promises of the gospel through his son who became and always will remain the son of man. He is the man who Eve received from the Lord. He is the one who will bring us relief from the work and the painful toil of our hands because of the ground the Lord has cursed. He is the lamb that God provided. He is the one to whom the scepter belongs. 
He is the one David heard cry out in God forsakenness, so that we never be forsaken by him. He is the wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. He received our temporal and eternal punishment, and by his wounds we are healed. All this we know from the Holy Gospel, which God has been revealing to us from the beginning. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our good news. He is our light in the darkness. He is our deliverance. He is our perfect mediator. Amen.